Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hi, everybody. So Anya, today's podcast, I think, taps into a lot of the things you're very passionate about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> program evaluation, systems, uh, data collection and management, uh, all those really sexy topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely my bag. I love, uh, I love talking about... Uh, Counting the good and uh, and sharing that that story of of goodness through facts and figures, as well as obviously through good heart centered communications. But the facts and figures uh, they matter, obviously less so from a like you know donor centered you know tell a great uh, heartwarming story story and trigger that uh, um, that impulse to give, but more so from the perspective of communicating to funders, um, communicating broadly to a community of practice about your approaches and how effective they are. Um, because, uh, if you can't measure it, did it really happen? Right. Like (laughs) some of that stuff. Tree falling, right? So yeah, no, today's conversation definitely is not about fundraising. It really is about, I would say centering your work and evaluation around your clients and involving them in the process. And then also looking at overall, like how do we build evaluation into our routine? So it's not like a once a year scramble for all the information that someone's been writing in five different places. But I, I think ultimately, you know, how do we involve our clients in making sure that, that they see their own progress was one of the things that I really took away from this. Definitely. And it's, you know, I think this is like particularly relevant for um, the, those listeners who work directly with people who have, you know, addiction or substance abuse or um, mental health challenges, um, or for any any of our listeners who work with a, a client base that are looking to measure their change over time, right? Behavioral change, because I think a lot of the theory behind this methodology of evaluation is um, to involve the person in their own journey towards wellness. And uh, I think that that's, that's critical, right? I think what works and what's proven to work in one place and for one group of people is not necessarily what's going to work um, for other people in another place and time and situation. So um, exactly. I like that, that this strategy um, really centers the person who is um, really like the defining factor as to whether or not um, your uh, attempts to support them work, right? So yeah. why not uh, um, involve them in defining what success looks like? Exactly. There's so much uh, interesting insights from this conversation. Again, figure out how it applies to your work. But ultimately, I think all of us are in the business of trying to do some good. And as Anya said, you know, how do we measure that? How do we count the good so that we can, you know, for our own satisfaction and know that we're doing the work that we set out to do for our clients so that they can um, see their own progress and uh, know that they're doing the things that they want to do. And uh, obviously our funders come into that equation uh, as well. So yeah, I think this is a super interesting conversation. You might want to grab your notebook. It's a pleasure to welcome Jeff Couliard to the podcast. 
He works with leaders and teams of professionals who are dedicated to increasing employee engagement, building their leadership capacity, and achieving incredible results. He's a consultant, speaker, facilitator, and coach, doing a whole lot of things, but uh, really works with a lot of nonprofits in this evaluation framework. So please join me in welcoming Jeff to the podcast. All right, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Cindy, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this conversation about outcomes and evaluation. Woohoo! <laughs> this is kind of a thorn in the side of our sector, uh, especially for small nonprofits who I want to say are, you know, not digitally or technically sophisticated, which are a lot of them. And also, I mean, there's just, there's so much to unpack in this conversation, which is why I'm excited because I know it's going to have value to our listeners. So, Let's talk a little bit about your background and how you waded into this uh, maybe not traditionally so fun space. <laughs> so my background is actually not necessarily in the helping services, although I ended up there uh, through a, you know a course of events that we don't need to unpack. But I spent, spent about a dozen years in addiction and mental health treatment with youth at a residential drug treatment program here in Alberta, uh, where I'm based. And I came in not having an addictions background. And so I got to ask lots of fun questions like, you know, what is addiction and what is addictions treatment and how do we know we're doing a good job? And I couldn't really get satisfactory answers to that. Like nobody really could convince me that we were doing really excellent work. And so from early days in kind of mid 2000s as a youth worker, I was struggling with, you know, a lack of feedback about my impact and the impact mm. of the program that I was working with um, because I was there to make a difference and make changes. I wasn't there to just, you know, have a job. And that was the, the same with all my colleagues. And so I ended up landing in a really interesting space in this wilderness therapy program um, that was kind of like an island, you know, it's out in the middle of the woods and we didn't get bothered very much. And we, you know, we got our funding and we got our clients kind of shipped to us and we got a lot of license to experiment with our practice. And one of the experiments that we undertook um, was kind of addressing the lack of data and the lack of feedback uh, real-time information from clients about their experience and treatment so that we could adjust it and make it better. And that's when I really fell in love with uh, outcome and evaluation because I saw the impact that it could have on a client's journey when you can take something as hard to measure sometimes as addiction or mental health and quantify it and make it visible for people. So mm -hmm. to, for these young people to see their change journey right in front of them as they're going through it was hugely powerful, uh, powerful for them and powerful for the, for the frontline staff. And that's, I think, one of the big problems with evaluation in the space is that it's not designed for that. It's designed for funders. It's designed for the marketing campaign. It's designed for the annual report, um, those types of things, which are important, um, but not meaningful to direct mm -hmm. service providers. I'll give you my list in, in a little bit of the big challenges that we're facing. Um, but in a nutshell, you know, kind of being an outsider in, in the space that I, that I ended up in gave me a fresh set of eyes to look at and say, well, actually, we can measure some of these things. And if we do it this way, it'll have a significant impact. Um, and so, and then I got into leadership positions and I had the authority to just go ahead and do it. And so I just went ahead and did it. And we really improved our practice um, to the point where we became one of North America's leading wilderness uh, addiction treatment programs, um, which is something certainly that uh, was very proud of. Mm -hmm, absolutely. You should be proud. And I love that we're starting this conversation, couching it in the fact that if we do this well, it directly benefits the clients we serve, the work that we're doing. I mean, that is the reason. And I think so much of people's hesitation is that it feels like an obligation from that, that external third party. Uh, whereas if we do this right, it can 
mean that we are having a greater impact in the world. And that's what we all want. Yeah. And let's talk like, that's actually my first challenge is the, the first problem that I see is the mindset that we have mm. around outcomes and evaluation. It's something that is often done to us, not done by us and not done with us. It's something that is imposed by, you know, it might even just be a grad student doing their thesis research. Mm-hmm. They're, they're coming in with their questions set and their things that they want to know. Um, we had that experience at the program in probably 2008, 2009, had somebody come in for a full year and they're dropping in and they're doing focus groups and interviews and all of this stuff. And they basically it was just extraction. Like they just extracted a whole bunch of data and story and information. And it was another year or two before we actually got the thesis back. And wow. In it were a bunch of recommendations and half of them were obsolete by the time we got it. And the other half we'd already moved on uh, without that. And so it's like, how is that useful? Um, And so that done to us mindset, um, if we can take ownership and take control of it and orient it towards, like I said, kind of direct service, um, Mm -hmm. it changes that entire mindset um, because the the second problem, and I'll just keep walking through Mm -hmm. these problems. That's okay. And feel free to jump in and interrupt me. Oh, I will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah is kind of lack of meaningful outcomes and mm. the integrated systems. So we're measuring either the wrong things or we're measuring, measuring other people's priorities. So we're measuring um, funders' priorities um, and we're not incorporating that data. And like I said, it ends up in the annual report. And direct service providers and clients, by the time the annual report gets generated, like it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't have an impact mm-hmm. on the day-to-day. And so it's not, if we don't get feedback on a routine enough basis to mm. make it make it meaningful, make a difference in the lives of the, the staff and the clients, um, then we're missing a huge opportunity uh, to actually utilize that data in a, in, a, in a real-time kind of way. And I'll talk about that um, as part of this call of solutions. Yeah, I definitely want to c- come back to that in terms of how we look at information in a real time way, because I think that piece is going to be very overwhelming for organizations because I suspect it's couched or grounded a little bit in some technology or ability to synthesize information. So it's called routine outcome monitoring is the framework. Um, basically, if we we figure out what our outcome is that we want to see on a and the frequency in which we want to see it, uh, whether that's a daily thing or a weekly thing or a monthly thing, you know, so I'll give a little bit of context. I'll tell the story of, of a few programs and mm-hmm. how they've done it so that people can kind of clearly connect the dots and make it concrete for what it might look like. Love it. Them. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm working with an organization and I can use their name because they're thrilled about it. So it's called The Doorway. Uh, They're doing homeless work with youth, uh, young adults, 18 to 28 in Calgary. Um, And it's a two-year program uh, where the clients, the participants come in and set goals and meet staff and kind of and volunteers and work through life changes in in lots of different areas. Um, And we landed on a monthly rhythm for their outcome measuring. And when we decided on like, what's the primary outcome that you're after here? Because that's two years homelessness, there's a, there's addiction, there's mental health, there's education, there's employment, there's relationships, there's trauma. There's like, it's everything that you're possibly going to see in social Very services. Very complex. Yeah. Super complex. Yeah. And so to tease out like, what's the thing we want to measure here? Um, you risk that not being very meaningful because for some participants, it's employment is the number one driver. Mm-hmm. That's most important for others. It's their mental health. Right. And so to p- try and pick an outcome tool that is, is going to be you know, 300 questions and try and administer that's going to be hopeless. And so we actually ended up um, realizing that the program was geared, designed to foster hope, to build mm. a sense of hope. And there's tools that measure hope and there's, there's short screening tools. There's six to eight questions that you can have somebody complete. You could do it today and you could get a, a sense of your your hope. And hope is actually two different constructs. It's um, competency and self-efficacy and pathways being able to see and set goals. 
Well, those two things, we measure those on a monthly basis. And the feedback from the participants has been amazing because they can then unpack that score. You know, it ends mm-hmm. up being a score out of 50, but they can look at it and they can compare it to last month and they can say, yeah, actually I am feeling more hopeful about life. And this is why, and this is how it connects back to my goals. And this is maybe why I didn't accomplish that goal because I wasn't feeling good about um, my confidence around it or whatever it happens to be. So it's really given a depth of understanding for their mm-hmm. own change journey. And so it's really meaningful for them. And as soon as we make it meaningful for the clients, they do it and it makes it meaningful for the service providers. And if it's meaningful for the service providers, their mindset changes around it and it becomes a part of their practice. And as soon as it becomes a part of their practice, the data starts to flow. And by the time the month end report or the year end report has to be written, we have all the data we need because that's probably one of the big challenges in the space is either no data, bad data that doesn't like, isn't the outcome that we're actually striving Mm -hmm. for or Mm -hmm. incomplete data, lots of incomplete data sets where, oops, we forgot to do our satisfaction survey for a quarter, right? Or somebody (laughs) went on mat leave and the replacement wasn't trained up on us. We have a full year. I'm just chatting the other day with a nonprofit that was missing a full year's worth of data on a program. And it's like, we wouldn't have that problem if it was meaningful. Yeah. And we actually got we got to that space pretty early on at Basecamp, which is the addictions treatment program where we I first kind of cut my teeth with this stuff and was really experimenting with it. We got to the point where the clients on Sunday mornings were reminding staff, it's time to do our outcomes. Mm. And these were 65 question questionnaires that took them probably 20 minutes um, to, to go through and, and to have teenagers, you know, your classic like drug addicted teenager <laughs> in the woods, reminding staff that it's time to sit down with a piece yeah. of paper or an iPad to complete their questions. Like that was remarkable um, shift. And we actually had one client that stands out in my memory who was leaving the program and wanted to take copies of the outcome instruments home with him so that he could continue to track change over time. Um, That's amazing. And it's just, it's a mindset shift and it's centering the clients and what's meaningful outcomes for the clients in those discussions. So how do we discover, like when you say hope and fostering hope, that's definitely not something that most people would like that would pop into most people's minds as they start to think about evaluating their programs. How do we distill down to that? Right. That's a very different answer than I think what most people would expect. So how do we build the tools to be able to get to the heart of what it is we're trying to do and measure and improve on? Yeah. And that's actually, that's probably the bulk of the work that's involved is actually front end work with teams of, of practitioners, whoever's involved in this process with this client and it's robust conversations and building what I call a program architecture, which mm-hmm. is basically, it's a one pager. We end up with a one pager kind of flow chart. You know, people have program logic models and all that kind of stuff, but basically it's like your vision, the problem that you're trying to solve in the world, uh, what your values are, how you want this to be experienced by your clients, what your practices are and making sure that there's alignment and congruent and mm. congruency between all of those pieces. Because what ends up happening is we often forget our practices a little bit disconnected from our values, right? We'll say participant centered or client centered and it'll be on the wall. But when we actually look at our practice, it's a little bit more program centered or a little bit more mm. staff centered or it's a little more funder centered. Um, and so it's getting really clear on vision, mission and values. And then out of that, I found kind of naturally follows the kind of impact, the kind of changes that teams want to make. And that's when we land on things like hope. Um, Mm -hmm. We land on things. We use something called the outcome questionnaire um, in a lot of addiction treatment programs, which is a holistic snapshot. It's not actually just because most addictions treatment programs see them as whole, like see participants as whole people, not just addiction. So if we're only Mm -hmm. measuring that narrow sliver of that person, we're missing a bunch of the change. And so there's tools out there that do a better job of capturing change in multiple 
life areas um, mm-hmm. to kind of capture the the breadth of the work. Are there resources that you've sort of mentioned that there are tools out there? Is there a good place to start looking at these or where should we start to find what exists already in a, and how do we evaluate if it's good or not good? That's a lot of the work that I do is help to cut through that noise because yeah. everybody, um, everybody has experiences of having a tool given to them or mandated to them mm-hmm. that was misal- fundamentally a little bit misaligned or didn't measure kind of what they wanted. Um, so there's a lot of like a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth from yeah. picking instruments and tools and those types of things. Um, and that's a really, you know, so, we kind of have to take a two-pronged approach to it. And so I'll talk a little bit about like the solution here is a mm-hmm. combination of something called routine outcome monitoring mm-hmm. and utilization-focused evaluation. Mm. So that's a framework by uh, Michael Quinn Patton around evaluation for the sole intention of being useful for the people being served, nothing else. Like full stop, is this useful or is this not useful? Mm-hmm. And with those two kind of frameworks, the routine outcome monitoring is where I generally nudge organizations to pick an outcome tool that's in the literature something that has been kind of had some research done on it with the clientele that you're working with and, and has been validated. So some, so there's, there are some evidence-based tools, registries out mm-hmm. there. Um, the national registry of evidence-based practice for addiction and mental health in the U S is a good kind of place to go check out. Um, and there'll be a few different uh, tools in there. There aren't that many in that uh, registry, but there's a ton of tools out there. Um, cool. and it's, how we choose to use the tools as much as the tool itself. Um, mm-hmm. And so to make sure that we're applying it properly, not just using it to extract again data from yeah. the clients. Um, and then with the utilization focused evaluation, what we end up doing is usually building custom program evaluation questionnaires that really mm-hmm. focus in on the practices that are kind of most relevant for that. So, you know, an example at our program was we did a lot of one-on-one work, a lot of group therapy work, a mm-hmm. lot of adventure therapy work and we had a school program and so there's probably 10 different factors and usually that's the problem for most nonprofits is that there's a bunch of different factors and we don't know mm-hmm. which one is most meaningful or least meaningful and so we yeah. can't make good decisions so ultimately like the goal of all of this is to get to a place where we can make better decisions where we can make our programs more efficient and more effective like that's the, mm-hmm. the end game um, but we need to be able to tease out and again then we go back to that program architecture if we do a really good job and the team really clearly identifies what they think helps to make change or make an impact, then we can start to measure those things. Um, so usually we end up with a pair of an outcome tool and a client survey feedback form of some kind that gives the organization satisfaction survey uh, mm-hmm. or satisfaction data, engagement data on their different program factors. So how do we then take these data points and put them into something that we can meaningfully extract that information, right? Because if you're, I mean, you mentioned paper forms. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of paper. Administratively yeah. burdensome. And exactly. I try and steer away from paper wherever possible. Yes. Although the the doorway, we're using paper because that's you know, got thick yeah. binders and that's what the participants are using. And so we've got, you know, a paper copy of the, the scale, the, the different mm. questions. And then we've got a little chart for them to track by month. And then we actually have what's called a timeline, which is basically just a graph on a long piece of paper that has a monthly timeline. And they can actually, they just plot and chart their own graph because the intention is for them to interact with it and help to make meaning out of it. In that context, it makes a lot of sense. So that's the the participants or the clients who are actually engaging in looking at those data points and the trends. And using it to make better goals for themselves and to evaluate their own 
progress. And it actually yeah. it took a lot of the burden off of staff. Like that was our experience was that staff didn't have to be experts on Johnny's addiction because Johnny was getting feedback from himself on his own yeah. process and yeah. able to interpret it and tell us what was meaningful and not. Um, and it, it made staff lives a lot easier actually when it comes mm-hmm. to case planning, which in addiction to mental health, it's the hardest part of the job is setting meaningful goals. Yeah. Because yeah. Utilizing data for staff and for programs. Obviously we want to get it electronic as quickly as we, as we can. And there are some, actually some really good, I know in the addiction to mental health space, there's some good software solutions out there. Um, and actually the, the OQ, the outcome questionnaire is one that I recommend a lot in that space because uh, they've got a bunch of different tools for different types of clients mm-hmm. and the dashboard is really nice and it graphs it for you and it consolidates it and reports it and cool. supervisors can check in on it and like it's yeah. built for that for that, that purpose. Um, Very cool. Yeah. I mean, you can do that in Google now too, right? Like we yeah. use Google dashboards for um, looking at data trends and if you, you can learn it for free online and there's so much power in being able to take information from a Google form and turn it into an, like a living dashboard. So it's not that you have to be spending a lot of money on these things. Yeah, that's the other piece is that traditionally it's been expensive because we've had yeah. to hire experts. We've had to hire academics. Mm. We've had to hire like it's cost. You know, I think we spent a quarter million dollars on a two-year project uh, Whoa. with academics. And that was a half-time staff and that was like a bunch of training. That's a lot of money. And that's like a full year's operating budget for a lot of the organizations we talk to. And I'm, I'm doing it for a 10th of that probably these days. And, and I think probably the, 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 my part of the mindset shift is around thinking of it as an investment, as we would buying a house, buying a car, something Mm. that's going to pay off over time, as opposed to part of our operating dollars. Like there has to be a one-time investment. If you're not doing any like really meaningful, robust outcome evaluation work, it's going to be an investment but you're looking at a 10, 15, 20 year payback on that yeah. if you do it right. Yeah. So when you, when you take 20 or 30 or $40,000 and you amortize it over that time frame, it, it looks actually, it's, it's the best investment you can make for your, for your mm-hmm. program. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, we talked about at the beginning and throughout actually that this is all very client centered and the purpose of it is to obviously do better, more meaningful work. But I'm a fundraiser, so I'm going to ask, uh, even though it's not for our funders and it's certainly not for external people, what use can we get from this information and turn it into something that is more external facing? For sure. And not to say, I think it's the, the primary focus isn't yeah. for, the, for the funding. Obviously, that should be a benefit is a move from a place of anecdotes of success, mm-hmm. because I think that's where a lot of nonprofits find themselves is that we've got lots of stories. I have tons of stories of which, meaningful change, which is important. Stories are good for individual and different Absolutely. kinds and of donors. You have to have stories yeah. because if you just throw data at people, it doesn't make any sense no. and they can't contextualize it and you yeah. risk it being misinterpreted. But data plus story, that's a really powerful combination. Yeah. And institutional funders, they want the data, right? Like the the larger foundations, even government funding, which so many small organizations rely on, they need, that's what they're looking for. Absolutely. And so an example of that would be being able to quantify some of the the impacts that the outcome evaluation project has had. There's the the data itself that says we've, you know, we've reduced distress in these Mm. clients from above the clinical threshold to well below the clinical threshold over this time period um, with this six, like 80% rate, like that's hard numbers. But then there's the also, 
the unintended or accidental value mm. that comes from these that I've noticed in some of my clients. So one recent example was uh, two addictions treatment programs, a men's and a women's residential drug treatment. Um, the men's program was a 90-day program. And, but based on the data, as we started to get the data flowing in, after about a year of this data, we realized that all of the change was happening in the first four to five weeks. Wow. And the men were just maintaining their recovery mm. and kind of coasting through treatment. Uh, so the decision was made to cut it in half, the length of treatment in half. So if you're a funder, you have someone who you're funding who just doubled the number of clients they can see in a year. That's, that's a pretty powerful impact. Yeah. Um, and with the women's treatment program, we actually, it was only a 27 day program for no, no rhyme or reason, just that's the way it's always been. Um, and we saw a 60% increase in effectiveness and clinical effectiveness over about an eight month time span. Um, and this happens when you return feedback to the practitioners, your practice actually improved. And so if you have some of these other metrics that you've traditionally mm -hmm. measured, like length of stay or um, completion rates and some of those things that um, are more traditional kind of measures of success, we'll, you'll see an impact on those as well through this type of um, really intentional, really client-centered kind of feedback. That's cool. And I love that idea of it, the effectiveness isn't necessarily like sometimes you're able to double, but sometimes you might find that you actually need to go deeper with fewer people to have an impact, right? So, but those things come out in this process. And that's a really important piece of mindset shift that I want to circle back to that kind of fundamental because mm. it really does inform how we approach this work and how our staff are going to approach this work. Yeah. Um, if we're routinely getting feedback, routinely outcome measuring and monitoring, we have to be okay with bad outcomes in the short term. Mm. We have to be okay with people who come into treatment and get worse in the first couple of weeks or don't improve at all. All right. That's happening anyway, regardless of whether yeah. we're measuring it. So <laughs> the fact that we're measuring it shouldn't be this huge shock. Like it yeah. usually just confirms what we already know, but there can be a real aversion to the realization that we may not be as effective as we think we are. Or this piece of the program may not be as meaningful as we thought. So there's a lot of ownership and ego that we have to set aside and say, actually, it doesn't matter what our intention is with this program. It matters what the impact is. Mm -hmm. And now that we're getting feedback about the impact, that's neither good nor bad. It's just what's so. And what are we going to do about it? And yeah. that's where returning the data back to the team. So returning it back to the client in the kind of frequency that makes sense for them on their journey is really important. But then for leadership to return it back to the staff team. You know, we developed kind of a monthly and quarterly rhythm where we would return data. So it's not an annual, let's look at what happened this past year. It's a month to month thing where we can actually adjust program and, and staff would take the feedback and adjust program for the next month. And so that was actually impacting, you know, a client's journey while they're still there. And that's the yeah. gold standard, right? Give feedback and we're going to act on it and you're going to have a better experience and our outcomes will just can't help but have better outcomes when you do yeah. that. Like it's yeah. impossible to not. <laughs> so one is sort of shining that spot like back on us and being like, okay, we're not necessarily like we have to open our eyes to what's working and what's not working and, and let go of some of our um, ego around it. Do you ever find that because this is client-centered and because they're actively involved in monitor monitoring their process, how does that affect their journey in the sense that, you know, what if they're not making progress and how does that impact the work and their experience with the organization overall? So there's, there's again, no such thing as bad data or a bad outcome. So if yeah. a client comes in, we'll use addictions treatment as an example. Um, client comes in and they have a score here on week one, week two, it's the same week three, it's the same. We have a conversation about what it's like to not make change. 
mm-hmm. and what they think might be getting in the way of change and what would be the, like, what's the most meaningful part of program and what would make it more meaningful. And then we adjust it and we watch the next week and it goes up or down. Rarely do people just flat, rarely seen this kind of flat lines up. It's lots of volatility, usually mm-hmm. up and down, but there's always a story. There's always meaning to the data and it's helping clients figure out what that meaning is. And mm-hmm. so sometimes it might be actually, I'm kind of ambivalent. I'm actually not here in treatment for myself. I'm here because my mom is threatening yeah. to kick me out if I don't go to treatment. And so I think it's all kind of BS and I'm just here. <laughs> I'm just coasting, right? And that's pretty meaningful information for direct service providers, their counselor to know yeah. that, right? To be able to surface that. And so that's the goal. It's never about the data for the sake of the data. It's mm-hmm. the data and what it means to the client yeah. and whether or not treatment is being effective or not from their perspective, right? And so any outcome is a good outcome when you're using it in that manner and we're not judging it as good or bad. And sometimes it's helping clients not judge it as good or bad because yeah. you know we can be our hardest on ourselves. And so scores will go up and they'll start to beat themselves up. And it's like, well, actually, no, that's really great. And as treatment gets harder, our scores should go up and normalizing yeah. the change yeah. process for people. Yeah. 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 Cause I could see like, I could see that happening where things aren't, it's, it's not a straight line. It's not, you know, progress. It's messy. And yeah. yeah. And sometimes when we are trying hard for things and they don't work out how we want, it can be really demoralizing. So it's, uh, it's a helpful tool to say, okay. And I, I, what I love about that is you can say, well, actually this happens to everyone, right? This is the bell curve almost for whatever the work that we're doing. So guess what? I can tell you in advance, this is, this is what your journey is going to be really like. It really helps to normalize the, the yeah. change process for people, um, their own change process. Um, and it's, again, it allows, it allows us as the service providers to make the experience most meaningful for the yeah. people that we serve. And I think that like, broadly speaking, I've never met an organization or a service provider that doesn't want to provide meaningful impactful mm-hmm. services for people, but then we shy away from, from measuring it uh, in a meaningful way, or we just don't know how we haven't had the tools and the processes. Um, so I'm really excited about this in the sector at large. Um, yeah. and actually I, I'm getting to the place and there's some thinking around it that it's actually ethical practice, right? Like it's, it's a pretty fine line between is this ethical or unethical if we, if we're delivering services and not measuring the impact mm. of those services, like I've got, I've got questions. Um, for the yeah. sector and a bit of a challenge to, to throw out there that I think that part of our ethical practice um, as service providers, especially in the helping profession where we're dealing with really vulnerable people is to make mm-hmm. sure like if the onus is on us, we have the power to control how these services are being experienced and whether yeah. they're having the impact and, you know, something for us to take that responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the examples we have been using um, are clearly related to that direct service, specifically with very complex support. I want you to paint a picture of the breadth of application for this kind of work. Uh, I suspect there's no uh, limits, but can you tell us a, a couple examples of things that we would be surprised or be interested in like, oh yeah, that would apply for this too. Oh, geez. I think it's so interesting when you start to, when you back up and you take it and you think about feedback, because this is really just what it is. Like what Mm -hmm. is the point of feedback for an organization or for someone doing any kind of work? What is the point of feedback? Well, it's to improve our practice, right? It's to make sure that we're having the impact that we want. Um, And so if an organization is clear about the impact that it wants to have, 
and it has some sort of routine way to get feedback from the people that it's supposed to be impacting or the systems that it's supposed to be impacting. So this might be a more of a systems piece. All we need are the clear indicators, the, the meaningful indicators. Um, so I've done some work in the environmental sector. My background is actually in environmental management. I've got a master's in and in that kind of realm, because why not? When you're a <laughs> youth worker, go back to school and learn something new. And so when we think about systems, right, and how systems interact with the same process, it's just you take the instead of the mechanism that is the direct service provider and the client, we just we have two different interactions there. And so, you know, it could be a program that is doing environmental education in schools. Mm-hmm. What's usually missing is a really clear what's the impact we want this presentation to have. And who could give us that feedback? It might be the students. It might be the teacher, right? But what what would meaningful feedback look like for us? And so it's that front end work again, where if you go in and they they have a program architecture that says these are this is the vision we have for this program. These are the values, right? We can ask feedback about impact. We can also ask, ask feedback about values. So I've worked with some organizations where it was the impact was a little bit fuzzy or it was really mm. broad and it was tough to quantify. It's like okay, how do you want to be experienced by your clients or the people that you're serving? Well, we want them to have, you know, this, we want them to feel like they're in control of their, of how we serve them. Right. And so we would ask questions about how much control did you feel you had or how much impact did you have on the final decision or however that gets worded. Um, but it's really, it's that lack of clear program architecture that yeah. stalls any organization. Um, but, mm. you know, I do it in my own practice. I have a clear program architecture for myself as a coach and a consultant. I know what kind of impact I want to have on teams and I have a feedback mechanism that they give me feedback on how we've interacted and I, and I adjust how I work with them um, as a result of it. So it's definitely portable. Um, it's, but it's, again, it's a shift in mindset around this is important and is ethical. And, you know, feedback is an investment in relationship, right? And I want to, I want to have a good relationship with these people that I'm serving. Um, so what is it that I want to know um, and how might I collect it? And then there's lots of conversation about kind of streamlining that and making it accessible and actionable because mm-hmm. too much data. Like we got to a point at Basecamp, we had too much data. Like we had in a year or two, we had hundreds of thousands of data points. And wow. like, what do we do with all this? Right. And I mean, the possibilities are endless, but it can be overwhelming. And yeah. so figuring out what are the primary, most important indicators, like you say, building some sort of dashboard or some sort of way for us to u- utilize it in our practice, whatever that looks like. Uh, those are the important pieces of yeah. this uh, the puzzle. Wow. That is, I mean, there's so, so much value to what you're doing. And I think, well, I know our listeners are going to be listening and hopefully very excited because it is, it's meaningful, right? This is why we all do what we do. And we definitely get stuck in inertia. We definitely get stuck in a mindset of scarcity and we we can't do this or we don't have the resources to do that or this is more work than we're willing to put in right now. But I really feel like the way you've positioned this conversation, you know, even if you don't take a step back and look at the meta data and look at all the big trends, looking at this as a tool for making sure your work is impactful, I think is so valuable and not as overwhelming as we think (laughs) evaluation can be. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick story and then I'm going to give you the three, what I think are the three most essential ingredients yeah. of building really intentional and powerful organizations. Uh, so the first is an anecdotal story of when we first started to do outcome and evaluation work at this addiction treatment program, um, we accidentally set up a bit of a randomized control trial or a bit of a two pronged. So we, for a year, we collected data 
Yeah. And we didn't return it to the clients. We just, we want, we knew that we were going to bring in this instrument and we yeah. wanted to acclimatize the staff team to it. We wanted to build mm-hmm. it into the rhythms. And so we just started. So it was about 11 months worth of data um, that rolled in where it was just collect the data and put it in the database, collect the data, put it in the database. And then about a year in, we switched gears and said, okay, we're going to now use this for case planning. We're going to use, we're going to return the data to the clients and operationalize it, use it in our mm-hmm. practice. And we improved our clinical effectiveness by about 30%, very wow. stark. And we actually like, we stripped it down. We said, this, these were the pre, these were the post, this change in practice. And it was remarkable. Like I, mm-hmm. I did a double take when I looked at it. I was like, holy, like that's meaningful. Um, and so that's a reason enough. Just only ever use it for direct service provision. Yeah. Enough. Like you've got that. It's amazing. Actually, I just released a podcast today about the three essential ingredients. Of yeah, let's go. Um, what are the three ingredients? So the first one, which everybody has is a purpose. Thinking about our purpose as the problem we want to solve, the challenge we want to face, something that unites our community of practitioners around something that's really meaningful. So I think a lot of vision and purpose statements live on walls mm-hmm. and aren't necessarily reflected fully in practice. Um, really? <laughs> I know I've, I've experienced that. I've had lots of feedbacks like, yeah, those are great. Too bad. Yeah. Uh, oh, I can't. Uh, yes, that's been my experience too. Yeah, so that's a thing. Yeah. And I think that the, the problem, how we frame that problem is really important for mm-hmm. our staff to align with. And so we had, our problem was, you know, or our, our challenge, our vision was building a world-class treatment program, but our problem was, was tackling mediocre services, like mediocre mm-hmm. average, like just good enough status quo. So the status quo actually became the enemy for our yeah. staff, which really ignited a passion to pursue excellence and best practice across the board, not just with outcome and evaluation, a shared set of values that actually, again, are connected to practice. So back to that architecture, the critical layer for most organizations is these are the things we care about and these are our practices and make sure that they're very congruent with each other. And then third and final ingredient is just feedback. It's just what Mm. we've been talking about. It's the ability to make sure that our impact lines up again with intentions, with purposes and with values. So those three ingredients, if you have those in your organization, you will do exceptional work. And I've seen organizations jump to the top 1% of organizations in their field doing this kind of work with very just intentional conversations with their teams and operationalizing the things they already care about, right? These are already the things that drive us, get us out of bed in the morning to get to work when we can quantify them. And when we can bring them back into our practice and center them, um, remarkable things start to happen. So thank you for letting me jump on my little, uh, my little soapbox (laughs) there. That it's fantastic. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Where can our listeners learn more about you and this work? Yeah, probably the easiest one-stop shop is jeffcoulard.com, J-E-F-F-C-O-U-I-L-L-A-R-D.com. That's where I've got my own podcast, so I'll talk about this kind of thing um, a lot. (laughs) Blog posts and and contact info if anybody's interested. Obviously, in uh, even just having a chat, I I am happy to line up a free call just to chat through where you're at in the journey as an organization and offer you any insight that that I can uh, remotely via Zoom or phone or whatever works. Excellent. Thank you again for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.